Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good day, everyone. My name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia, and we are the Thought Hackers. With us today is a man by the name of Bob Roth, who is one of the most experienced meditation teachers in America. Over the past 45 years, Bob has taught transcendental meditation to many thousands of people and is the author of Strength in Stillness, The Power of Transcendental Meditation, which will be published in February of 2018. Bob currently serves as the CEO of the David Lynch Foundation, a nonprofit organization which has provided scholarships to teach over 500,000 inner city school children, veterans, and women who are survivors of violence to meditate. Bob also directs the Center for Leadership Performance, a nonprofit which brings transcendental meditation to business, government, and charities. Bob, I'd like to welcome you to the show. It's an honor to be joining you and Hamish. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's, a real, it's a real pleasure to have you. And, you know, looking at your bio, looking at what you've done, what I'm really curious about is how did you get from where you started to where you are now? Mm. I'm a very, if you would have gone back to me at the age of, you know, 16 or 17, you would never have projected that I'd be teaching transcendental meditation for 45 years. I grew up in a very, very political family in the 1950s and 1960s in the San Francisco Bay Area. We talked politics all the time. And I like to tell people that growing up, I knew I was a Democrat before I knew I was Jewish. And that, <laughs> and that, that's, that was sort of your religion, was social transformation, aware of what's going on in the world around you. I worked for Senator Bobby Kennedy when he was running for president. And his assassination was very devastating to me. I went off to Berkeley um, to attend University of California at Berkeley in 1968 with the intention of going to law school and becoming a U.S. senator like Senator Kennedy and, you know, changing the world. Um, I wasn't a hippie and I wasn't taking drugs. I just wanted to make a better world. So I was an active doer type of a guy. And politics then is like politics now it was incredibly destructive and divisive i'm just don't worry this isn't going to take forever but i'm sort of getting you up to speed here um sure politics sure. then was extreme at that place in berkeley was as you know was violent and destructive much like it's become nationally and maybe even internationally and i the idea of healing the nation's soul through politics lost its allure and I shifted over to education. I thought, okay, rather than trying to change the world through sweeping political transformations, I would write educational curriculum and start with kindergartners and one at a time, sort of empower a child one at a time. So I'm going to school full time. I'm working full time. There's riots on the streets because of the Vietnam War. And it's very disorienting. And a friend of mine who I trusted said that I might like to do something called transcendental meditation. This was in 1969. And it was not even a word in my vocabulary. And I told him I have enough issues with my own religion because I thought it was a religion. And I'm a skeptical person, but I like science. I'm a skeptical person by nature. Uh, I, I like truth. I'm drawn to truth, deep truth, but I, I don't like just sort of stuff. So he said, no, you don't have to believe in it. Try it. It's pretty profound. 
and it's good for your own personal growth. And I learned it quite skeptical. I went in and I learned it. And the first day, the experience of transcendence, the experience of my body gaining this profound state of relaxation, and I was a pretty tightly wound 18-year-old kid, where my mind just settled down into this wakefulness. I, would, I didn't go anywhere, but it was so significant and so natural and so familiar. My first thought wasn't about, oh, this would be great for me. My first thought was, oh, I'd like to teach this to inner city school kids. So a few years later, I studied with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi for five months and became a teacher. And that was in uh, 1972. And I've been teaching it full time uh, since then and all over the world and leading science conferences and business conferences, just sort of bringing it. And 12 and a half years ago, I teamed up with the great filmmaker David Lynch to start a foundation where we could raise funds and bring it to at-risk populations, children and adults who uh, may need transcendence more than anybody else, although I think everybody needs it. So that was 12 and a half years ago, and now we're actually 600,000 kids and veterans and women and children have learned to meditate through the David Lynch Foundation for free. That was a long answer, but it gets you up to speed. Oh, it was an important answer, and I asked you because we really do need to have a bit of a foundation here for our listeners as to where you come from. So, um, six hundred thousand—you said mostly inner city ch school children, correct? Lat all over the U.S., Latin America, Africa, the Middle East, um, Asia. Yeah, in Buddhist schools in in Asia in. A Jewish school and Catholic schools in the U.S. So it it transcends religion. You know, it's like jumping yes. jacks. You can do jumping jacks at a Buddhist school and a Catholic school, and it's just jumping jacks. So trans meditation, properly understood and practiced, as you know, is not religious. It's not philosophical. It's a process that transcends ideology. To me, there's a, a basic understanding of. I suppose just meditation, but certainly I I haven't learned anything really about the transcendental meditation, and I'd love to know the difference between what I suppose I see and what I I believe to be just I'll just use the word basic meditation I suppose for for want of a better word that um, sort of creating that that balance and that inner peace a bit and that. Um, sort of self-centering and whatever it is. Um, but what is the difference between meditation and transcendental meditation? It's a really good question, and I'd like to start this with just using, I'm going to make three points here, using an analogy to sort of uh, explain the mind and then talk a little bit about science. And, sure. and uh, So I'll answer the question. So the analogy I like to use is you're on a little boat and you're in the middle of the Indian Ocean or the... Gulf of Mexico or wherever you want to be or the Pacific Ocean and all of a sudden you're this little boat and all of a sudden you get these giant waves, these 30, 40 foot high waves completely almost engulfing the boat. And you could rightfully think, oh my gosh, the whole ocean is in upheaval. But if you could do a cross section of the ocean out there, you'd realize that there's these little itty bitty 30, 40 foot waves. But in reality, the ocean is over a mile deep. And while the nature of the ocean on the surface can be turbulent, turbulent, the nature of the ocean at its depth is calm. 
And I use that as an analogous to the mind. The surface of our mind is the thinking mind, the waves. Surface of the ocean is like the thinking mind, the waves. And the Buddhists call it the, the monkey mind. I like to call it the gotta, 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 gotta mind. I gotta do this and I gotta do that. And I, yep. I gotta yes. call him and I gotta call her and I gotta make a list and I have to find the list and I gotta get a, make a new list and I gotta slow down, but I gotta get going and I gotta get sleep. So it's all the gottas and that's like waves on the surface. And that's the purpose, great. And the purpose, thank you, the purpose of meditation, meditation just means thinking. And the purpose of meditation throughout time was to bring equanimity to thinking, equanimity to the mind, balance, evenness to the mind. And so here's the next thing I want to talk to you about. For a long time, it was thought that all meditations were basically the same. It didn't matter what you did. You close your eyes, you watched, you followed your breath, you listened to music, you visualized whatever you want to visualize, you used a mantra. It was all the same thing as long as you take the time. Well, it turns out from brain research, it's not true. It turns out from, am I answering your question, by the way? Is yes, this, yes. Okay, so it turns out from brain research, it's not true because brain research tells us, EEG and, and brain scans tell us that every experience we have impacts the brain in a distinct way. If you listen to some classical music, it has one effect on the brain. If you listen to heavy metal, it has another effect. If you watch a scary movie, it has another effect. If you watch a romantic, a rom-com, a romantic comedy. So every experience changes the brain in a different way. And what they discovered is among legitimate forms of meditation, and now I'm going to get to your answer mm -hmm. your question, there are three basic types of meditation. The first type is called focused attention. So that's thinking focused. That's a concentration form of meditation where you try and clear your mind of thoughts or control thoughts. And it's like trying to stop every wave on the surface of the ocean. And that's a very conscious way of thinking. That's a conscious. That's right. Okay. And that is a cognitive. So it's on the surface. You're, you're trying to stop the waves on the surface of the ocean to bring calm to the ocean. And when you do that, the brain research shows you create something called gamma brain waves, which are 20 to 50 cycles per second. That means it goes up and down very fast, 20 to 50 times per second, so fast. And that's really in the front left part of your brain. And that shows you're concentrating. If you are studying for a math problem, you'd have the same sort of uh, gamma brain waves. The second is called, and that, so that in the analogy is stop the waves. In the second type of meditation called open monitoring, and that is many mindfulness practices. And open monitoring means you learn to dispassionately step back and just experience the moment for the moment's sake. You're not living in fear from the past. You're not living in ex excitation or, ex or anticipation of the future. You're in the moment. And in that, that's like watching the waves rise and not getting too excited and fall and not getting too depressed and just stepping back. And so that's an observational type. You can do that with your breath. You can observe, they call body scans. There's many different mindfulness tools or open monitoring. That creates something called, for those of you still awake at home, <laughs> that, that, those of you still awake, on this brain class that creates, but I think this is really important to know because meditation is very important and it's good to know that they're not all the same. That creates something called theta brain waves and that's pre onset dream. And this meditation is very good for coping mechanisms. And the third and final is self transcending and that's transcendental meditation. 
And in this approach, to answer your question finally, Hamish, in this approach, we recognize that there is a vertical dimension to the mind. That the mind is not just the waves on the surface. The ocean is not just the waves on the surface. That there's a vertical dimension to the ocean and that there is silence at the depth of the ocean. And we also recognize that there's a depth to the mind. You yes. say th We all say things like, I feel this deeply. Yes. That connected to me on a very, in a very deep way. We have intuition, deep sense of knowingness. And so in transcendental meditation, we don't, it's not a cognitive process that's manipulating or adjusting thoughts. Those thoughts, like waves on the surface, are natural. Through the use of a mantra, which is a word or a sound that has no meaning, unique to TM, and using it properly, we effortlessly settle down, dive within, and experience that unbounded silence and calm that lies deep within every human being. We've mm -hmm. just lost access. And when that happens, the brainwave pattern is distinct. It's called alpha one, yep. which is a very wakeful state. And your body gains a state of rest and relaxation, not seen during sleep or any other form of meditation deeper than deep sleep. So it's, a, it's not anything on the surface, Hamish. It's accessing that transcendent yep. calm that lies within. But I can, I can really see the benefit of... You know, certainly taking away that focused attention, that cognitive, um, when the thinking can really get in the way of all the, all the stuff where a lot of the problems do occur, um, and to remove that stuff and bypass it to go straight into that self-transcending. Uh, certainly, that that deeper, that quiet place, that that deep ocean, be a wonderful place to go to. And that's why, both of you, because I really appreciate what you're doing on this show and exposing people, first of all, giving people an opportunity to tell their story, but exposing your listeners to new and deep, then this is not, your show is not superficial, thought hacker, you know, it's very deep stuff. And this is why this meditation, and there are many different approaches one can take, there are different tools in a toolbox, but this is a very valuable tool in the toolbox, this heals trauma. Because when you can access that peace and calm that lies within, and your whole brain, when you're traumatized, your amygdala, which is your fear center, gets hyper-aroused, and you're overreacting to everything, and your frontal lobes, which is the rational filter against impulsive decision, that goes offline. When you meditate, the amygdala, the fear center, calms down, mm. and the Frontal lobes, executive functioning comes back online. So now a person feels almost like rebooted, their their own self again. When you were talking about the number of school children that you work with and the hundreds of thousands, and I, I can sort of the benefit that it would do for the learning abilities to be that that deeply balanced. Um, but what it would do for them, even children with ADHD and learning problems and challenges, how it would really bring some. Uh, into the classroom for them to or even home doing homework but going more specifically how do you work with someone who and i believe that you work a lot with veterans yes is that correct um and yes. and people who have suffered a lot of trauma what is the process that you go through with them to take them on this journey do you um remove the ptsd or or the trauma or the attachment what is the actual outcome that you get for people with trauma it changes it changes it's it's a really great question 
the the in the United States, twenty one veterans commit suicide every single day, mm. and almost everyone have have had a diagnosis of post traumatic stress. And there's seven hundred thousand veterans with PTSD, post traumatic stress di diagnosis. So what happens is they're they haven't they're over in harm's way, they're in conflict, and they they're in a Humvee or a tank. The tank gets blown up. All of their mates get killed. They alone survive. That experience absolutely scars in the deepest way the way the brain functions. It hyper arouses this little, the, the amygdala is like an alarm, a fire alarm. Yep. It just is screeching all the time, which means they're overreacting to absolutely everything. They hear a a, a firework go off or a firecracker and immediately they're back in the war zone. They can't sleep because they're dreaming about it. It's just, it overloads the circuits. So now what is the best antidote to that? So what the VA does is they, they give a lot of drugs. <laughs> so they give them sleeping pills. They give them uh, pills to calm them down. Then they can't go to the bathroom, so they give them pills so they can go to the bathroom, and then that lowers their sex drive, and then the whole thing becomes this cocktail, a yeah. nightmare of medicines. Yes. But that's what most of them get. The other thing that they do is they it's called prolonged exposure, which is you've come back from harm's way, and they want to treat you, and they show you videos mm -hmm. of people getting blown up. I, sorry, I just wanted to interject briefly. I, I saw a 60 Minutes presentation of prolonged exposure. I was absolutely horrified when I saw what they were doing. It, it's, it's just, but, you know, the, the amazing thing is nothing else is working. Now, several years ago, the Department of Defense gave us $2.5 million to do a study comparing TM with prolonged exposure on 203 veterans. And the research, not surprisingly, was TM was much better. Yep. Why? Because we give, instead of the experience of trauma, that they had that experience, what we do is we give the brain an experience of a genuine experience, not made up, a genuine experience of that step, quiet, that equanimity, that ocean of silence that lies within at the source of thought within every human being. And when that happens, the brain starts to function from that experience integrated, calmly. The amygdala settles down. Everything, the whole brain is able to heal itself. And when you do that, there's a word called neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. When you do that 20 minutes twice a day, the brain starts to become more and more familiar with that style of functioning rather than the scattered, jarred, jagged, frightened. And so to answer your question, I'm just trying to answer everything quite thoroughly. Yes. To answer your question, it's a new experience is what heals the, yes. the, the veteran. Not just forget it or drug yourself or, oh, you think that was bad. Well, look at these 10, 10 things <laughs> being blown up. Well, your one tank was nothing. Yeah. When you actually say it scars the brain, can you explain that a little bit better, uh, what that actually is? I mean, people would um, naturally uh, go into this image, this vision that there's physical scars through the brain, like lacerations or whatever. Could you explain that scarring the brain? Well, I mean, it can just be, when I say scar, there's a wonderful book that your readers um, might like to uh, see, I mean, your v listeners may like to read, it's called, and I can't remember the guy's name, but it's called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm 
Mm-hmm. The body keeps the score. It's a, it's an expert uh, by uh, trauma, uh, you know, trauma expert, uh, researcher. And what his comment is, is that you as a child could have a very traumatic experience. And as you get older, you may forget that experience. Yes. But your body never forgets. The, the, it's like the etching. The, the, and it's really brain circuitry. When I say scar, it's the brain circuitry. It's the pattern. Yes. It's your body gets, your brain gets used to a, a hyper-aroused amygdala. It gets used to functioning in a, in a disintegrated way. The frontal lobes are shut down. The other thing that happens is there's something called cortisol. And cortisol is a hormone that's secreted by the um, adrenal glands when we're anxious. And when we're anxious, the body secretes more cortisol, then we get more anxious, more cortisol, becomes this vicious cycle. And if you get a good night's sleep, which you never get when you're traumatized, your cortisol levels will drop 10%. And in 20 minutes of TM, cortisol levels drop 30 to 40%. So the scarring's not like, oh, I cut my arm and there's a scar. But the scarring is the way the brain circuits function in a very uh, dangerous way. Um, well, there was, there was something that was, oh yes, um, the process of transcendental meditation in terms of restoring the brain function, how long does it take? So it's good to learn. This goes back to your, uh, I think Hamish's question too, both of you to learn to transcend is a very simple practice process. Very simple. It takes about an hour a day over four consecutive days and you learn it not from a book and not in a group, but you look, that first day you learn one-to-one by a very skilled certified teacher. And the teacher will give you a mantra, which is a word or a sound that has no meaning, and will teach you how to use that mantra as a catalyst, not as a bludgeon to push out thoughts, but as a catalyst to give the attention of your mind, we could say like an inward direction, like you teach mm. a child how to dive, and you say, honey, stand like this by the side of the pool, and then gravity takes over. So you, the teacher teaches you how to give the attention of your mind an inward direction. And within moments, you, you have that process of transcending. Uh, it, this isn't something that takes two months to, to master. Mm. I teach a 10-year-old child with ADD, and they can learn it just as much as any of us could who've been you know, more mature. Yes. So, and then the results are cumulative, but start right from the beginning. So, in terms of somebody who has PTSD, okay, they can learn what you've uh, taught them in, say, the four days. But in order for it to really start to have a, a noticeable and lasting effect, uh, any thoughts about for those who are listening, uh, what time frame they should expect? I would imagine it's all over the place. Maybe it's not, but I'm, I would like it's to know. Great, great, great question. It really, lots of times, it depends upon contrast. Like, I'll teach, if we talk about a veteran, a veteran maybe comes to me to learn to meditate, or any of those thousand TM teachers, um, and they haven't, often they haven't been able to sleep for more than an hour or two a night for months because of the nightmares and the cold sweats and all that. So Mm -hmm. they learn to meditate, and Nathan, literally within a day or two, they're sleeping. Uh, I talked to this one guy. He slept 18 hours for for four nights in a row. His body was so sleep-deprived, and now he's sleeping, you know, six to eight hours a night as a norm. norm. So a person who has that severe um, 
acute crisis and chronic crisis, the results are more immediate. For myself as a college student or as a you know, person just listening, the benefits start coming. I think first thing people notice is maybe they sleep better and they wake up feeling more refreshed because it's physiological. But then they find that their concentration, the research shows that those connections in the brain that happen in meditation, those healthy connections last longer and longer and longer out of meditation. But within a first week or so, people start noticing benefits. Research is always eight to 12 weeks because they want to be sure that we're just not anecdotal or, or coincidental, but there, there's an actual trajectory. But it doesn't take long. I have a question with um, when you say when they start the process, they uh, get in contact with what was the person you call? Who's there's, the- well, there's there TM. There's a no, there are nonprofit TM centers all over the world, mm-hmm. you know, and with certified teachers. There's a yep. lot of people, as as Nathan will know, he's been involved. But Nathan, there's a lot of people who are false teachers, right? I mean, there's people right. who are just they're not qualified, sure. and, and they lead a person astray but at least i know if you go to something like tm.org then they can tell you where teach certified i call them a certified teacher and this is not this is just you know it's a funny thing because i went i i taught this one person to meditate at his home usually they come to the office but he had some illness and i walked in and i was wearing you know pants and a sport coat and he said oh i thought you were going to be wearing yoga pants and have a like a, a man bun <laughs> And I said, that's interesting, because if your cardiologist came over to the house, you wouldn't think that was going to be the case. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we need to do, and I think what you do with this show, is that meditation is not, it doesn't, it's not, doesn't have to be woo-woo. It doesn't have to be those things. It's not just for people who are one type of person. Every human being wants to be healthier. Every human being wants to not have headaches. Every human being is seeking more. And so this is for everyone. Yeah. Just to expand on, just on that question where I was heading with that one, is it, so the starting point is essential to be in contact with that teacher to be able to get the mantra. uh, That's uh, right. Okay. So it's not, it's not the, like you would send them an audio and off you go. No, no, one-to-one. You have to learn that mantra. That's right. This now there are different types of meditation and some meditations of mindfulness approaches can be learned, you know, from a book or they can be learned from a tape or something and that's fine. And I always say to people um there's not a question and I again I think you'll both agree but Nathan who has it's not a question of better. It's a different outcomes and different meditations have different approaches and they produce different outcomes and I am yes. a strong believer that people should not silo they should not say, well, I do focused attention, so I don't need to do open monitoring. Or I do, well, that's like saying, well, I take vitamin C, so I certainly don't need vitamin D. It's a completely different thing. So Buddhist medita- mindfulness meditation has wonderful outcomes that are different than transcending. But it's not an either or. I think life is short. We should learn many different ways to master and, and access master our, our our life and access that unlimited creative potential that lies within every human being so i'm a big advocate of learn more not less yeah absolutely yeah and also i just want to touch on what you said about finding the qualified teacher for those who are listening this is extremely important because what bob said is it's very easy, unfortunately, to run into unqualified or false teachers. So going to a site like, uh, sorry, what was the name of the site, tm.org? Yes, just tm.org. 
Yeah, so it's really important to when you're beginning this journey or if you want to begin this journey to find the qualified teachers. That way you're going to get the best possible results. If you wind up with a false teacher or someone who looks apart but isn't actually giving you the goods, it, it can cause harm to you. And it's a reality that those of you listening should know about. So going to tm.org to research, see what's available in your community. No, and I think it's, it, it can cause harm. And also the other thing that's wrong is a person is looking for something. Okay, I, 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 I mean, we're talking here about stress and trauma, but the fact of the matter is um, there's deeper reasons why a person would like to meditate. You know, it's like, oh, in this life, if I'm told I'm using only 10% of my mental potential, hmm. well, what would life be like if I used 30% or 40% or 50%? So a person shouldn't feel I only need to meditate because I'm traumatized. No. There's, there's True. like life is to be lived fully. And I teach, I teach Olympic athletes. I teach some, you know, I teach high performing artists and musicians who just want to be clearer and even sharper and more resilient. But I want to go back to this to this wonderful point that Nathan said, and that is, what can happen is if a person gets learned something that's from a not a right teacher, then they can think, oh, well, I tried meditation and it it's not for me, or I tried meditation and it doesn't work, and they really weren't trying it, but they 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 give up, and then they think, I guess my only answer here is to just to take, you know, Ambien for the rest of my life, or and I have nothing opposed to medications; they help people. Yeah. But it's not the only thing. I'd like to just know a bit more because I'm really excited about this, and I'm going to be jumping sure. into it and and having a, sure. and and using this because, like you said, you know, if we can get up to that thirty percent usage of our brains, I'm, I'll be jumping into this with with uh, open arms. But when once you go through, just to take a little bit further, the the use of it when you have um, have that time with your teacher and get to learn the mantra. Uh, for yourself to use what's the process then is it just taking your own quiet time and using that mantra no, do you it's need 20, yes it's 20 minutes twice a day you do it first thing in the morning mm -hmm. get up 20 minutes earlier because it's better than sleep so you can get up 20 minutes earlier you just sit up in bed or you sit in a comfortable chair close your eyes and you're taught how to think the mantra so it's not just this drone repetition but it yes. serves again the key word here's a catalyst how yes. to give the attention so you can just settle down and then the second time that it's traditionally done is at the end of the day, sometime before dinner, ideally, anytime, you know, from two or three in the afternoon until before dinner. And that purpose of that meditation, the morning meditation wakes up the brain because sleep brainwave patterns are very dull. That's why people need 300 cups of coffee to get going. <laughs> and then, and then, um, and that really wakes up the brain and makes us more energized and resilient throughout the day. But we inevitably collect fatigue and stress and, you know, and we have traumas from the past, bullying, what, mm. you, what you confided in us. And that meditation in the afternoon allows those deeply rooted traumas and stresses to be unwound, to be dissolved. So not just the stress of the day, but from weeks and months and years past. And then what happens is we almost start, it's like having a second start to the day. We feel energized and refreshed. We enjoy our dinner. We have a good evening and we sleep much better at night. And there's no need for putting uh, meditative music with you when you do it. No, it's just no, you're no, taught no, the no, mantra no. and you do it within yourself. Close your eyes. I do it in the backseat of taxi cabs. You know, I'm in New York City. No, so, it's great. I yeah. do it on airplanes. Yeah, it's great. 
I'm saying, you know, for a person that is living with the trauma and so much fear there and will go into a panic attack, uh, whatever it is, they can, once they've learnt this tool, can take themselves into this very quickly to collapse that. Yeah, and the interesting thing is people say, whoa, transcendental meditation, like you're going into some trance. And I said, no, trance doesn't mean, transcendental doesn't mean trance, it means to go beyond the surface agitated, to settle down from the surface agitated, wavy, you know, agitated mind, yeah. to just a little calmer underneath, a little calmer. That, that's all it means. And they say, well, how do you know when your 20 minutes are up? And I say, well, you could look at your watch. You know, you're not going someplace. You're just letting your whole system settle down and heal itself. I, th I think having that cross-section visualization of the ocean and people really connecting with that turbulence on the surface... And just getting away from that is, um, yeah, very helpful. It's a, it's a, it's pretty much a cornerstone of uh, different meditation practices where they talk about that. If you were to listen to the teachings of Eckhart Tolle, he will say exactly the same thing. Yeah, and I've heard and I've heard him say it. And in terms of different meditation practices, initially I started with Tibetan Buddhism, no sound, sitting in silence, sitting in a particular way. Uh, later was Siddha Yoga, receiving a mantra, which, uh, which it was the same mantra for all people, and um, and doing chanting, uh, different forms of chanting, different types of music, and then sometimes, well, when the quiet period of meditation would happen, uh, they would uh, play particular kind of music. I'm just trying to think of the instrument uh, that was used, but it was an in, uh, Indian instrument that would create a droning sound, which would create a um, a form of peacefulness and um, tambura that's what it was called the instrument I, I love the sound of that instrument absolutely wonderful and very useful for meditation but there's so many different ways of doing it transcendental meditation is one Siddhioka is another Buddhism is another Zen is another there's so many different types and for the listener it's up to them okay this one's about transcendental meditation so we start here and this is what you do. And if you want to try something else later, you do something else. But exactly right. Exactly right. Don't get into this thing of, of and, and don't mush them together either. That's and that was what I was going to say next. You beat me to it. Yes. Go ahead, say it. Go ahead, say it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is, is something we learned about in, in spiritual practice is not to do guru hopping. Stick with one boat, at least for a good while. So you get a really good feeling of it. And a really good uh, sense of what it is before you decide to make the leap. Because what happens is if you leap around too much, you could start confusing things in your mind. And that's not a good thing. And for me, for me, I mean, I've learned a lot of mindfulness techniques. And I know in the middle of the day, if things get rough, I know there's like a breathing thing that I can do for two minutes. That's a lovely tool. It's a lovely tool. But sure. I love starting in the morning with this, for me, this effortless dive within, and then, and you know, and I don't need to have music, and I can just, and then, and then I have a lot of friends who do different things, and I go along and I enjoy what they enjoy. I enjoy. So I, I just think, I think that someone asked me once, they said, Why do you think there's so much interest in meditation in general? And, you know, what I teach, because I'm not an expert, you're, you're more than I am for these other things, Nathan. But, and I said, I think it's a perfect storm of three things. I think the, the problem of stress and fatigue and tension and anxiety 
is greater now than it has ever been with this 24 seven social media. Yes. It's just, just, it's great. And we also understand more how absolutely deadly it is. And that when a person has high blood pressure at the age of 65 or Alzheimer's at the age of 60, those seeds of Alzheimer's started when the person was 30 and 40. So it's not like all of a sudden you get Alzheimer's or all of a sudden you have high blood pressure. It's starting young. So that's the first thing. The second stress. The second thing is, I, I think the reason why there's so much interest um, is because modern medicine hasn't given us a magic pill. There's no magic pill you can give to that soldier who's going off to combat that's going to prevent her or him from getting traumatized. Nor is it for the rich kid, you know, the wealthy, rich kid's not a nice way of putting it, a, a child who grows, grows up in an affluent family who has everything you could say handed to her or him, but is under enormous pressure to get into the right kindergarten, to get into the right high school. To, I mean, like you can't, I never had this, huge pressures. And they're cutting themselves and they're burning themselves and they're committing suicide. So it, it, there's no pill. That's the second reason that we can take. There's no pill we can take. So we're, we just feel stressed. We mask it with pills or we manage it, but it doesn't cure it. The tumor of stress grows. And the third reason, what we've been talking about, science. There's so much evidence now that legitimate forms of meditation don't just make us feel good on a surface level, but actually can reboot the brain, can actually reduce cortisol levels, can reduce high blood pressure. I taught Michael J. Fox to meditate, the great actor, and he's suffered for 25 years of mm. Parkinson's disease, disorder, disease, PD. And whenever he meditates, all of his tremors stop. And he has, while the tremors return to a certain degree afterwards, he has like no anxiety. And he used to live with a huge amount of anxiety. Well, now Johns Hopkins is looking at that as a way, a TM as a way to help, help those, you know, people with Parkinson's. And I'll say one last thing, then I'll be quiet. <laughs> going back to that original, am, am I talking too much? No. No. Okay. I am. I'm supposed to give short answers. You ask the questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> It, it, it's totally fine. I mean, that's that's what we're here for. And the, the wonderful thing about what we're doing right now is, okay, what we've done this evening is a, a door opener, if you will. And the lovely thing about these podcasts is if a lot comes up during a podcast, we can say to you, oh, we really like what you had to say. We'd like you to go into more depth. We don't have the time now, and we are we are coming to the close of our time together. But the wonderful thing about this is we can say to you, hey, we want to have you on another show. Let's let's take a really deep dive into um, for our audience. What would you say to that? Uh, anything. You guys are fantastic. For the listeners, I've done shows for 45 years, radio, and this has been maybe right at the tippy-tippy top of the most enjoyable, intelligent, educated, informed Shows. I'm, and I, I have to tell you something. I don't exaggerate. I'm a very honest person. I don't. I Thank just, you. I just say the truth. And the, you guys are great. And anything I can Thank do, you. I'm happy to uh, dive deep or do whatever you want to do or swim around, splash around on the surface, whatever you want to do. Personally, for me, Bob, this has been uh, an amazing 45 minutes. It's um, you know something I've heard about before, never looked into, thinking. You know, maybe I did think that transcendental 
word attached to it was just a it was all a bit too way out and you know i don't need to go there but you know being so open now to anything that can help the people in this space with the trauma uh, we, we are so and that's why we're doing these interviews and i've learned so much from this about what it is and and how simple it is and, and how powerful it is um, I will be taking a journey, stepping into it myself, just to take me to well, another level. Well, there's a there's a TM center in Melbourne. Oh, good. You can tell hi, you can tell them hi for me. I will. <laughs> I will do that. I will. I will go there. It's and hopefully you're here when you when you visit Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Let's touch. So, um, just for those people who are listening, uh, as to as to a way of wrapping up, just before we do. For for people who want to learn more about TM, they should go to tm.org, correct? Yes, and if they want to know more about the work of the of TM with at-risk or traumatized populations or the work of the Founda- David Lynch Foundation, they can go to davidlynchfoundation.org. There's some amazing videos on there of, of there of the work we're doing with vets, children, women who are survivors of domestic violence. It's amazing, the changes. Yeah. That's that's really good because, in my opinion, a lot of people need inspiration beyond, say, our shows, beyond different methods. And having videos up there, in my opinion, is very helpful. Well, I sure have enjoyed doing this show. And next time, I promise to give shorter answers. (laughs) (laughs) You can speak the whole time, Bob. It's fine. The the message that we're getting across to our listeners, it's all for them. And if we can help change their lives in some way, uh, and you've got all the words to say, just keep talking. Everybody, thank you for listening. My name is Nathan Siegel. I'm with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia. Our guest has been Bob Roth. And we are the Thought Hackers. We will catch you next time. You've been listening to The Thought Hackers. Make sure you subscribe and get each new episode emailed straight to you so you don't miss a show. And have a look at our resources page where you will find programs, audios and books that will create change in your thoughts.